Hi, I'm Yvonne Pran with Bible 805, and this week's lesson is a little break in the topics of going through the Bible. But as I was studying the book of Isaiah, I realized once again the importance of how critical it is to understand God's view of time in contrast with human views of it. This study of time has always really fascinated me, and I realized that it's important for you to really understand, again, the difference of God's view to fully understand the prophets. But in addition to that, it's important for how you live your life. So please listen very prayerfully with a heart open to make the most of every minute of the time that God's given you. So let's get started. Our lesson today is the incredible implications of God's view of time. Now, there are different ways different religions look at time in history. Many religions believe in a cyclical view of time. The Eastern religions believe in reincarnation. The time just goes round and round. Samsara is what it's called, this endless cycle of time, the indefinite repeated cycles of birth, misery, and death, and all of it's driven by karma. Matter is impersonal. There's no guide, no purposeful God, no outside authority that determines history, that determines a span of time. Now, Christianity, on the other hand, is quite different. It teaches a personal creator started it all, not impersonal matter, not karma. Genesis teaches creation was ex nihilo, which means out of nothing, that that's what, how our universe began when God said, let there be light, and there was light. In Revelation, it says, or God God is speaking here, where he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and is to come, the Almighty. Now, in addition to a clear beginning, Revelation 21, and in many other places, teaches us that a time will come when there will be an end to our present universe, and a new heaven, and a new earth. Now, Here's why these divergent views really matter, that we understand them and that we understand how this applies in our Bible. If all reality is just an endless, ultimately meaningless cycle, earthly events have no purposeful meaning. Everything's determined by chance. And now one result of it, one very practical result of it, even though you may not have sort of identified this going with the view of time, is popular thinking today about Jesus. He's considered by most everyone as a good man an inspiring teacher who unfortunately, simply by chance, happened to live when Rome was in charge of this world. In that world, Jesus had no idea how radical his teachings were or that he was going to be crucified by the Romans. His death is seen as tragic and one that took him totally by surprise, as it did all of his followers. But, now that's one view of it, if you just believe, again, that it's time, chance, etc. But, on the other hand, in contrast, if we believe in a purposeful creator in charge of time and history, it follows that Christians believe all the events in the life of Jesus were not the result of random chance, but were prophesied long before his birth. 
His death was not an accident, but an event foretold from the earliest days of human life and throughout the Old Testament. Now, I'm going to have some more details on this in a minute. But how can we know which view is true? That there's just chance or that there was a purposeful planning creation, all these events took place as they were supposed to. Either all that happened to Jesus was totally by chance, or all that happened to Jesus was known about and written ahead of time. And that is what prophecy is all about. Now, wanting to know which one is right really isn't difficult to answer, because here's how we can do it. We need to show that the God who gave us the Bible lives, exists outside of time. Well, you might say, well, how do you do that? That sounds kind of complex. Well, again, it's not really too hard. So stick with me as, as I uh, kind of explain this to you. If God is outside time and can see everything, past, present, and future, then he could correctly predict events that will happen in earthly history. In other words, he can give us prophecy about them. If those events then happen in the order or when a particular prophecy says they should, that can be really good evidence that there is a God involved, a God outside of our historical timeline. Now, we're going to look at some specific biblical examples of this in a minute. But first, I want to share with you two illustrations that I think will help this make sense, that will bring it down into the very practical and understandable. First of all, imagine a parade. You're watching it with a friend. But your friend leaves you, and a few minutes later, you get a text from your friend where she announces that she was able to get up into the announcer's booth. And the view is so much better up there, and it's really wonderful and all that. So she texts you and lets you know that, and you don't believe her. And you say to her, prove it. Now, because your friend can see what's coming in the parade, and you can't, she tells you that in about 10 minutes or so, there's going to come past where you are a Star Trek float. And so um, you, you say, okay, well, I'll believe it when I see it. Well, 10 minutes later, the float with the Star Trek characters comes by, and you realize your friend really is up in the announcer's booth. Now, a view from above the level of the parade allowed your friend to make this quote-unquote prophecy about what would happen. Now, imagine that the parade is the total history of the universe and humanity. And instead of an announcer's booth, God is outside of time, seeing, knowing, the beginning from the end. And he wants us to believe that. We have a right to expect proof of that just as we would from our friend at the parade. That's why he gives us prophecy to clearly tell us what is going to happen. Second, I have an illustration for you. Now, I will describe this to you, and I trust that it will make sense, but to actually physically see it, it will be in the notes in onbible805.com, and also please go to the uh, Bible 805 YouTube channel. It's just Bible 805, I mean, excuse me, YouTube dot com slash Bible 805. So anyway, here is the chart. And the way, again, let me describe it to you. Up at the top, we have God's view of time. And it's a bar that stretches across the entire page where God is simultaneously aware of and knows all that is past, present, and future. Then down at the bottom, we have individual view of time. We only live at one point in time where in the past, we have the 
Old Testament, we have the New Testament, and then we have remaining history and when Christ returns and the wonderful ages to come. And all of that timeline, God can see it all, but we're just at one point in it. So this, I hope, kind of helps illustrate God's view of time and our view of time. But he doesn't keep it secret what is going to happen. The way it works out in the Bible is God tells us what's coming hundreds, if not thousands of years before the events happen. These events are recorded by his prophets and the biblical writers. And that's why it's really important to date them, to talk about them, for us to read the Bible in historical order. Now, if God tells people about this, the prophets talk about them, and then the events happen when God says they will, we realize that God is outside of time. For example, the most numerous predictions in the Bible are about Jesus. Now, we may not know exactly when certain things were written, and we can quibble about the dates, and we can fuss about things with some of the Old Testament prophets that I do in the lessons on that, but we know for sure that all the Old Testament prophecies were written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. I mean, no scholar doubts that. The Old Testament was written, um, that's why you know our dating's very different. We have BC and AD. Now again, you might quibble about the the exact the exact numbers. You might argue a little bit about you know whether we call it BCE or AD or you know whatever. But we know all of these things were written long before the historical person Jesus lived on Earth. From his family lineage to the place of his birth, his life's work, the details of his death and resurrection, it was all written about, prophesied from literally the beginning of humanity. Now, one example is about his birth in Bethlehem. In Micah 5.2, it says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And this is always acknowledged to be about the Messiah, about Jesus, who was, of course, born in Bethlehem. And this is only one of around 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. And I have a link for you in the notes that goes into, that uh, links to and shows you around the 300 prophecies. Now, you can also, if you don't want to go to this link or don't want to bother with the notes, just do a Google search on prophecies about Jesus and you will find many, many of them that tell you, show you where the prophecy is in the Old Testament and how it was fulfilled in Jesus' life. You Again, you don't have to even be real exact on it. You don't even have to believe if you are someone who is listening to this and you don't, you haven't trusted Jesus as your Savior. It is just fascinating, though, that all these things were said about this historical person, Jesus of Nazareth, and they line up with what was prophesied about him many, many years before his birth. Even the most liberal scholars agree that all of these things were said long before New Testament times. It's really exciting stuff, and there's a lot more to it. But of course, you won't see these things if you don't read your Bible in chronological historical order, which all of you are doing, and I am so glad that you are. You must anchor Bible events in true history and geography to get the real, the full meaning and overview of the 
the Bible. When you do that, it helps you see how the Bible is one unified story spanning the entire history of humanity. Now, this also gets into the whole topic of progressive revelation. Because God is outside of time, he does the planning, directing, revealing of the whole story. He doesn't tell everything us everything all at once. He tells us through the biblical writers at appropriate times, not again, not all at once about key doctrines, because again, he works through history. From the start, though, the seed of all key doctrines of the Bible, sin, redemption, and grace are introduced in Genesis and Job, and then carried through the writings of the different authors in the Bible for over 1,500 years while the entire Bible was being written. This is what's called progressive revelation. Now here's just one example of it. An innocent sacrifice was needed to atone for sin. We don't know why, but we know that is the method that God chose. Early in Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, God covered them with animal skins. When Abel made his offering to pl- that was pleasing to God, it was an animal sacrifice. Job offered animal sacrifices, so did Abraham. They did this all prior to the Levitical laws. God had let them know that an innocent sacrifice was needed to atone for sin. They did that in obedience to him. Then the Exodus comes along, and after that, God gives them the specific laws on exactly how they're supposed to do it. And then ultimately, All of this teaching for the hundreds of years was fulfilled on that incredibly pivotal day in human history when John the Baptist sees Jesus coming towards him and he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. All the previous teachings about sacrifices were then fulfilled with Jesus' death on the cross. The later books of the Bible then expand and clarify the meaning of this sacrifice, but it never changes the teaching of a needed sacrifice for sins. Now, Jesus' view of the fulfillment of progressive prophecy and revelation is something that he states again and again. He constantly affirmed his belief in the reliability of the Old Testament scriptures and the progressive revelation of God when he answered critics in this way, where he said, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Not only Jesus, but other New Testament authors refer to and confirm progressive revelation. The Old Testament is quoted over 200 times in the New Testament, always, as we talk about the New Testament being a further revelation, not in contradiction to what is written in the New Testament. Paul does this extensively in his writings and the book of Hebrews. We're not certain exactly who the author is. It could have been Paul, it could have been someone else. But in the book of Hebrews, this is one of the best examples where it goes through the whole, in the past, Levitical priesthood in the Old Testament and then shows how Jesus fulfilled this. Now, our conclusion on progressive revelation. From it, we can conclude that our Bible has one author, 
God who worked through human authors, but it was God who kept the whole plot of the salvation story in mind. He is the ultimate writer of it. Outside of time, God carefully planned and thought it through, and though it took many centuries to tell it all, the basic plot lines, the key things, do not change, but they expand. The cons- this consistency of progressive revelation is a unique characteristic of the Christian Bible. No other scriptures have this. Other religions totally change doctrines, ignore blatant contradictions, and they define progressive revelation as the option to change their mind. No, 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 no. That is not what the Bible does. It doesn't change. It expands, continues to explain, brings to fulfillment what God has always taught us. As interesting and as important as that is, it brings up a kind of troubling question if you're thinking closely. Does progressive revelation mean everything we do is fatalistically determined? We can't help but ask the question, again, if we're kind of thinking about this, what about me? God's sovereign will over time and history versus human choice is the core question here. And this illustration helped me understand it. You know, I used to worry, you know, does that mean I'm, you know, everything I do is is predestined or, or isn't it? Or, you know, how does it all fit? I want to give credit to where credit is due. Uh, this, the um, basic idea for what I'm going to share with you, this illustration came from Rick Warren. Now I've kind of expanded it quite a bit. So don't blame him for that. But here's the basic idea. Human history, the big pictures, like an ocean liner. The direction is certain. The route is set. The captain is in charge. It's his ship. His word is law. And the passengers have a copy of his law, the guidelines, his manual, obviously that's the Bible, for them to get the most out of the journey. But within the ship, the passengers are given quite a bit of freedom. Individual actions do not affect the final destination. That's determined by the captain. However, individual decisions greatly affect the traveler's time on the ship. There's a crew with assigned tasks, and if they don't do them, things don't go well. Also, each passenger is responsible for his or her actions, his or her attitude, and based on them, what they get or don't get out of the trip. There's individual freedom, whether they're a helpful passenger on the journey, a peacemaker and joy producer, or maybe they're just a dead weight, a bore, a constant complainer, or someone that needs to be thrown in the brig. They can't change the destination of the ship, but their actions greatly affect their experience of the journey. Now remember for our analogy, all the passengers have access to the copy of the instruction manual for how to live the best way possible, for how to get along with others, for their joy and peace on the journey, but no one forces them to read it. But at the same time, they're responsible if they don't. The passengers do well to keep in mind that this is not a meandering pleasure cruise that never ends, but one with a definite destination and harbor that will be reached because the Christian faith, remember, is linear. That's one of the most important things to remember that we've talked about in time, that we've talked about in the various illustrations. Christian time, the biblical view of time, God's view of time for this earth has a beginning, 
and it has an end. There, are, there is no reincarnation. There are no do-overs. Though God is clearly in control of the ship of human history, and he wrote the guidebook, our Bible, for how to best live as he's shown us. Prophecy, history, progressive revelation, he won't force us to read it. But we do well to remember that at the end of the journey, each passenger will need to give an account to the captain. First of all, over which ultimate destination each one's chosen, whether it's darkness or light. And for those who've chosen to trust the captain on their journey, for their time on the ship, and how they use the resources they were given, no matter where they found themselves, ourselves, <laughs> no matter where you are on the ship, whether you're in first class, whether you're working in the galley, where you're... If you're shoveling out the lower decks, no matter what it is, you were given that job by the captain, and you've got to answer to him for how you did it. I've come to think, in many ways, of our life on this ship of life as it is, as sort of our first assignment. And the Bible's really clear how we accomplish our first assignment, how obedient we are, how we use in another uh, in a parable in the Bible the talents God's given us. That's going to make a difference for the assignments that we're going to be given in the ages to come. C.S. Lewis puts the reality of our meeting with the captain in a in a really much better way than I have. And now I'm going to switch to the metaphor of a play. But it's the same idea. Please keeping all of the things in mind that we've talked about. This is from C.S. Lewis' book, The World's Last Night. And I cannot recommend enough that you read that. It's such an excellent, excellent book. But anyway, here's a quote from it. It says, precisely because we cannot predict the moment, we must be ready at all moments. The curtain may be rung down at any moment. We do not know the play the author knows. And we are led to expect the author will have something to say to each of us on the part that each of us has played. Playing it well is what matters infinitely. Bible 805, my ministry that I have with you, I'm committed to help you play your part infinitely well. I'm going to get back to going through the Bible in the next podcast, but for your personal spiritual growth, I felt this lesson was important to share because I want you so much, and my prayer for you is that you play the part that God has called you to play on this journey throughout time, and that you play it infinitely well. That's all for now. Please check out the notes and the other materials that I have the chart on time at www.bible805.com. And until next time, I'm Yvonne Prynne, your fellow pilgrim, writer, and teacher for Jesus. And I'd like to close with this benediction. May you know the invitation of God to move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest, from loneliness to knowing you are loved, from turmoil to peace, from wherever you are on your spiritual journey to a growing knowledge of God's Word and in your personal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.